Harry Butthole Podcast is produced in partnership with Joy Sauce. Harry Butthole. Welcome to Harry Butthole Podcast. This is a podcast based on the Korean saying, if you laugh while crying, hair will grow out of your butthole. I'm your host, Young Me Mayor. As you know, every week I have a guest on to tell me a sad story, and then we we laugh about it in the way that Koreans uh, uh, do. That's how Koreans process trauma. We uh, mock each other. And this week I have a very, very dear friend of mine as a guest and I'm so excited that they're here. Um, This is somebody that came up with in the stand-up world together. One of the funniest stand-up comedians that I've seen in my life. Also, my guest this week is headlining Stand Up New York November 13th. That's an hour of wonderful hilarious comedy so please get your tickets now please give up your ears for james tyson (laughs) hi everybody (laughs) Uh, god i think my sad story is we haven't seen each other in a year and a half i'm realizing it's not not really but that's i'm presently getting sad about it i'm so sad about it i know i mean it's we were discussing a little bit before recording how the pandemic threw us off on our stand-up game because obviously doing stand-up comedy all we would do is do like mics and shows and we would see each other you know I I feel like I feel like we had this like similar schedules so we would go to like three or four shows and mics a day and I would see you at like two of them or something yeah similar schedules and overlapping mental illnesses i think that's how you make friends in comedy yeah and yeah i feel like we felt safe around each other because these rooms are notorious for their being full of uh men who like to make jokes about harming women yeah (laughs) and we'd be like huddled in the corner like okay when when can i make my little jokes (laughs) it's so good to see you i i um as you were giving that intro, I started getting a little emotional just thinking about how long it, it's been and stuff. I don't know. Uh, we can just us cavelling for three minutes probably doesn't make a podcast. <laughs> no, I think the people that listen to this podcast would love that if we just started crying right away. I honestly might cry several times during this. So <laughs> that's what they're here for. Good, 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 good. <laughs> the content will be delivered today. <laughs> we what were we talking about? Not seeing each other horrible time is a blur time is a blur where where did our youth go where did our youth go mine's been gone for a long time james (laughs) i don't know (laughs) we're the same i'm 35 are you 37 37 oh i thought that's still young it's young i'm not i'm i'm not stressed about it at all i'm still pulling you know i'm I'm pulling uh pulling uh your ex um (laughs) i don't know what that means i don't even know what that means i know i'm but I'm threatened. <laughs> Great, yeah. That's what the kids are saying. I'm pulling, pulling some weight. I don't know. I think like you're pulling dicks out of people's pants. Pulling dicks so out of on on, to suck on them. Yeah, that's what that's what yeah, that means. Right. That's what that's short for. Um, I yeah, I feel like people. It's so funny hearing people being like, "I'm turning 26. I'm gonna kill myself," and I'm like, "Bitch, I'm gonna <laughs> kill you. I'm gonna murder you myself." Yeah. 
I did I did the same thing though. I totally like when I turned like twenty I think twenty five. Every time I've had like a round number, twenty five, thirty, thirty five, I've had some sort of existential crisis. And twenty five, I fully had an anxiety attack, just like staring too. at a clock on my birthday. I was like, "Where, where is it going? Stop! Come back!" I have to say, last week we had Ivy Lou. I don't know if you know her. She's another no. stand up comedian. Um, but Mm-mm. we were talking about that too, and I was talking about how in my twenties it was way harder to get older than now. Now I'm like, I'm like used to the idea that I'm old and I'm like, doesn't bother me that I'm no longer like considered young. But I feel like when you're like 23, 25, it's like you're going from mega young. Like I could become a pop star to like normal age. And that transition is just way harder, I think. Yeah, I will say 35 was pretty it it did i didn't have like an existential crisis exactly i did go see company on my 35th birthday and i don't know if you know company or not but it it's about a 35th birthday um so that i just i feel like i had like i did the right things to like process it you know at 25 yeah i'm like staring at a clock like sweating at 35 i'm like why don't i go see this like moment this like piece of art that is designed to help me process this day and it did that's beautiful yeah like you planned out for it yeah yeah yeah. that's really so my existential crisis was very contained and guided by sondheim so it it worked out that's i feel like that is a mark of getting older because back in the old days i'd just be like I have flight anxiety. I'm going to like not know what to do on the flight. But now I'm like, I got three Valium. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I got two bloody Mar- I, I got to get two bloody Marys. Take the Xanax. <laughs> take the three hour nap. Then I'm fine. Then I get to the hotel and take a shower. I like have a plan now. Yeah. Yeah. That's even the even the drugs and the alcohol have a, more of a plan. Yes. now Because there, I definitely I had plenty of alcohol in my 20s. There was just no plan. Exactly. You know. Now I actually I'm in like moderation management and there's all these rules and stuff that go along with it mm. for drinking and stuff and um it's very planned. It's very like one drink an hour, two glasses of water for every you know, that kind of thing. What's moderation management? Is it just what it sounds like? Like moderating yeah. your use? Yeah. Mm. Honestly I, I don't wanna oversell it because I haven't gone to that many like group meetings and stuff. I'm still in like therapy and whatnot, but um I, but there is, like, if anyone's thinking, like, I'm not an alcoholic, but I, I need help, like, moderating, there's groups and there's classes and things that will teach you, like, little tricks just to help you, like, keep some of your behavior in check. That's the easiest one, though. That's honestly fixed so much is just doing, do one drink an hour. Mm, that's great. I feel like that, the whole thing for me, I've never, like, I mean, honestly, I feel like if some people... It's so subjective. I feel like some people might view me and be like, oh, you're drinking a lot. But I, in my head, I could never commit to something like AA because it feels so like religious and like never drink again. Whereas in moderation yeah. management sounds like way more something like that I would actually do. Well, and I didn't drink alcohol for like four years. Mm. Uh, um, and the I never felt like I was an alcoholic, mm. but that the that it was presented to me that way my entire life or that's how I was looking at it. it's like are you an alcoholic or not yeah like those are the terms and it's like well I don't know if I have a drinking problem but I am definitely doing a lot of problem drinking 
Um, right. And that's, once I like broke it down that way, it's like, oh, this behavior is problematic. It doesn't mean I have to take on this identity for the rest of my life, which I do think a lot of people need that program yeah. to to understand themselves and their behavior and so forth and so on. Yeah. Um, now, if in a year or so I am, I mean, I was never drinking every day, but if I really do like go into like a major relapse territory where it's like, then I'll, I'll rethink it. But um, for now, it's, uh, I, th- I think a lot of people could use that like middle ground of um, moderation. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt about, I, I think it's so problematic how people view alcoholism and drug yeah. use. It's like either like you're a raging alcoholic or you're totally fine. Like it's just like, yes. and I, yeah. yeah, I think most people fall in the gray area. Yeah, I also think, too, it's like it makes it harder to take accountability for anything, too, that you might have done while you're drinking. Like I have had falling out with friends, especially like once I stopped drinking and my friends who were like still problem drinking. um, And now I can see the problem because I'm sober. Um, It. it, it makes it, it puts you in this place of absolute defensiveness. You can't even ha- if you, if you can't even have a conversation about something you've said or done while drunk to then then like, what the fuck are you? You know, it's like, no, you may not be an alcoholic, but like there's this repetitive pattern of behavior that you have mm. no ability to take accountability for. Then yeah. I don't know what to call it, but maybe stop. <laughs> that's, that's kind of where I was. That's why, you know. Um, where it was like, well, I've done and said enough things that I'm not happy with. Like, I don't love this. Alcoholic or not, I don't love what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, And yeah, finding the middle ground. That's always the way, isn't it? (sighs) Finding the middle ground is always the way. Except for in class politics. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck the middle ground. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's like, I'm really glad that you said that because um, it's such a weird Oh, you know, I was, I was just like, this is so random and I didn't even know we were going to bring this up. But like, I was thinking the other day, something very similar, like the word, like the language around it is so like dated that it doesn't fit any like alcoholic alcoholism. It doesn't even, even though I'm sure uh, like there are so many people around me that suffer from it or whatever, whatever the clinical like definition is. It just sounds like a 1973 dad that's like drinking bourbon and smoking cigars. So it's like hard to yes. like apply it to today, you know? I, yeah, I do know, especially because so much of like modern alcoholism, especially in New York and especially when like, I mean, you, you know, from working in restaurants and just living the lives that we lead, like we see so many rich, beautiful people on a regular basis. Alcoholism can look so sexy in this city Mm -hmm. um, that it's weird to even call it alcoholism. Like it's some other like toxic monster that you're right. It like needs a a rebrand. Alcohol, alcoholism needs a rebrand and we're here. We're the new faces of, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Oh, I think we have an episode title. The new faces of alcoholism, but I'm not an alcoholic. Me neither. Oh my god. Never. No, no I have I have Never. a I have a complete handle on my drinking. Um, yeah, a full handle every night. <laughs> <laughs> That's normal. That's what all my friends That's do. 
at all of my friends. Um, and they're not alcoholics either. None of us are. you were wondering. <laughs> I, um, yeah, it's, I swear to God, the word I feel like is so off-putting for most people. But, oh, I was going to, this is what I was going to say. Speaking of alcoholism, <laughs> I was, I was drinking with my friends, like at a bar. And then I, I was like, you know, I had like a few drinks. So I was like tipsy. And I walk by um, a bar that I lived near and they were having like an open mic. It's like just back to the open mic topic and i was uh-huh. like i was like like tipsy so i was like i'm gonna walk in and do a little set oh and and before i, I was having drinks with my friends i had been on a show and it was like a big show you know and i had like done well and so you're feeling cocky so I'm like, <laughs> and so then i walk in let me go bless this mic with my yeah i'm gonna walk just, in let every, me just step in i was like the the, the sea's gonna part and they're gonna be like oh my god look it's young me mayor famous alcoholic comedian and like <laughs> so i walk in and i'm gonna tell you the bar name because it's old man hustle it's good i just say okay, that so great. you know how how shitty this place is no offense yeah, if you're yeah. listening old, old man hustle crew but like it's like have you've obviously been there right yeah Yeah. yes it's tight it's a little dirty it's has eight seats it's like the tiniest bar in all of new york city it's the size of a closet and there's like 50 people and they're trying to do like (laughs) three minutes they'll give you three minutes and i like waltzed in there with my little like i've had three tequilas and um and they're like okay you can go. and the host was like being so like oh my god please you can yeah go go right ahead you can get three minutes on this mic and i was like yeah that's right move aside and like <laughs> and there was all these like typical open micer stand-up comedian dudes that are like 24 yeah. and they like live in staten island or whatever and um they were just like standing around like like who's the stupid especially as soon as they see a woman they're like like you know and they're like i like i get on this quote unquote stage which is just like a little like a, a piece of yeah. paper and like, <laughs> a little like um and then i'm like doing my doing my bits mind you i had just done all these bits in front of like 300 people like an hour yeah, ago yeah. and these fucking dudes are like like talking over me like one of them's like trying to like give me it and i was like Oh God, I feel so horrible. What, what have I done? I'm like, I'm bad at comedy. <laughs> Those three minutes ruined my confidence forever. And then I got off stage and I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I'll just leave. And they're, and like those, like, you know, like those stand up comedians are like shitty, like those open mic guys, but they're oh, also yeah. always trying to hit on me because I like, there's a of one woman are. in there, yeah. you know? And so the guys are like, yeah, it sucked. And then they're like, what are you doing? They're always like, oh, man, you suck. And I'm like, man, does that ever fucking work for you, bro? Like, does that ever fucking? It does. I'm sure. Yeah. That's, I think, what's up. It does. (sighs) Anyway. That's honestly, it's funny you say that because there is such a relationship or like such a, uh, uh, oftentimes open mics feels like. AA mm-hmm. and like group because like I was going to like a lot of groups when I was not drinking mm-hmm. and there's this thing in AA called 13th stepping yeah where <coughs> <coughs> sorry from the top um <laughs> there's this thing in AA called 13th stepping which is where like someone who's in AA will kind of take a new 
um, someone who's new to AA under their wing. Like, they've been in AA for a while, but so they pull and they, like, enter into a romantic relationship or, like, a friendship that has no boundaries or whatever it is. And it's so similar to when, like, someone has been doing mics for forever, like, negs a new person. Mm. And it is with this intention of, like, yeah, because you're going to be, like, my new girlfriend and I'll be the one who's more experienced. Like, and I, I feel like we have seen it work. Like, we've seen yep. people live out whole, like, three-year relationships on Twitter. We have seen it work. You're right. <laughs> but I was like, I was like, do you not have any sense of, like, first of all, I'm more talented than you, and I'm and hotter, very good and at this. Like, like, look at me. And yeah. Look, yeah. <laughs> like, do you not, like, I know, I'm like, yeah, I get it. You're, like, negging me because you're wearing, like, a dirty hoodie and you know, the bottom of your jeans are frayed. I get it that you're trying to make me feel bad about myself, but like, do you not have a sense of like perform? Like, can't you see that I've done this before and I'm right. good at this? Like, there's like, yeah, like that. And I was just like, oh God, it's just, men, what are you going to do? What are you going to do about it? Nothing, I guess. Pull, pull them. You're going to pull, <laughs> we're pulling them. Pull. It's a... <laughs> I'll get it. I'll get it. <laughs> I'm going to pull them. <laughs> That's it, right? That's what the Jens are saying. What are the Jens saying? The Jenses. <laughs> the Jenses. <laughs> Just trying to keep up with the Jenses. <laughs> Seeing the word Jens, even the Jenses are saying we pulled. Oh, God. The only thing I'm pulling is my my back muscles trying to is that your sad story yeah. <laughs> my no my i'm gonna keep I, I usually tell a little sad story up top i'm gonna i'm gonna say that open mic was my sad story how far how quickly That's i a fell good one. you know from the top of my game to the, the bottom but it is so funny this is exactly what stand-up does to you where it's like first of all you're only as good as your last set in your own head yeah uh and then also, like, it really makes you think that, like, the most unfunny, untalented, unfuckable people are exactly who you need in your corner. Yeah. And it's... And it, they're not. <laughs> what the open mics thing situation is, it's because they're all just other comedians. They're not giving you a genuine, authentic response because they have these, like, no. agendas. Like, if you're a hot woman, they're not going to laugh because they want you to feel bad so they can fuck you later so it's like yeah. hard to be in those space and it's a weird place to try to practice your craft because you're just in a room full of people that are worse way worse than you trying to make well, you yeah. feel bad because they are jealous or something you know yep yeah they're also not gonna like anyone who's different in kind of any way, if you don't reflect their own sensibilities and their own, like what they are good at back to them, then it's not real stand up. Yes. Well, this, this is the thing about us talking about how we were not going back to doing mics, like what we used to do. I feel like after the pandemic and we touched on this in our earlier conversation, like I've been through so much trauma that I can't put up with that shit anymore. I can't put up with the Mm -hmm. casual sexism, the negging and the casual like guy that's like, oh, what are you going to talk about? Like being Asian. I I can't put up with that. And also Mm -hmm. I'm happy to leave that space because like I remember like, you know, the it's weird because like my career, my career took off during the pandemic. But in the like years of me doing open mics and stand up before that i was like 
progressing and I could see my progression. Meanwhile, those guys just were not. And, At and all. they're yeah. still there. It was like in the at old man hustle it was the same fucking guys that's the sad part yeah yep from like five years ago or four years ago when i started i'm like what have you been doing have you been what have you been doing bro you know anyway um that's i guess my story open mics are sad don't do them don't do them i will say i've got I do feel like, because I, I do dip in every now and then, like, I'm still, I probably do, like, three mics a month at this point, and I've got, like, a few shows a week, um, which I'm not performing as much as I want to, but yeah, I'll, I'll get back in there. But um, I will say, post-pandemic, that it is, like, there was something during the Trump years that there was straight up, like, an ideological civil war in stand-up in the city. Yeah. And but all sides were so m- much more like I remember going and feeling like we just had the person with the biggest microphone in the world saying the absolute most heinous things we're seeing being Trump. We're seeing hate crimes on the rise. We're seeing whatever. And then you go into these rooms and you see this fucking jabroni saying the exact same thing, yeah. acting like he's a fucking God's gift to comedy because he's a fucking racist. And I and then they and then their side uh, felt like oh we were losing our minds because we were policing everything they would say I don't know it does feel at least a little bit I've seen now in a lot of these rooms those dudes uh, who think they're like edge lord alt like anti PC whatever yeah. had much more of a space uh, before quarantine now I just see them kind of bomb and fizzle out okay or move to Austin or just keep doing open mics forever forever and keep just bombing with the same sensibilities again and again and again and again and again and then just if anyone comes in that's new they're like yeah you suck you want to you want to go out later um you want to get a drink (laughs) (laughs) well yeah i guess i guess that's my sad story what so you know as you know i have a guest on telling a sad story every week of what is your sad story Oh, God. Um, it is, I think, national coming out something or other. And this has been coming up from in my therapy. But I think what I'm really sad about right now, I did have a friendship fall apart this year. Mm. But I'm not going to, I was like trying to decide because I'm also really sad about that. But um, I am realizing in therapy, I'm 35 years old. I came out of the closet when I was 15 as gay. Mm-hmm. And there are so many ways in which the things I learned in the closet, Mm -hmm. um, how to function, how to lie, that's the biggest Mm -hmm. one, to myself and others, are still so fucking present in the way that I interact with myself, with my career, with everything. And it's, I know this isn't like a singular moment, but it's really got me this fucking week because I'm watching you know, everyone on social talk about coming out and how liberating it is. And it is, of course, but like, I don't feel like we talk enough about how, um, it is just a constant, like the closet is not just like a one time, like I'm out and I'm done. So like the, the story that I'm in EMDR, Uh um, and with EMDR, it's a type of trauma therapy, 
uh, which I don't, I don't, do you know what it is or? I have heard of it, but can you remind the listeners what it stands for and also me? Yeah. Oh God, I, I always want to say electromagnetic something or other, and it's not, it's not that, um, it's not shock therapy. I think it's eye movement desensitization, something or other, but basically, um, it's a type of therapy that I've done talk therapy for years. Mm -hmm. And then, um, with EMDR, it's a lot less talking. You like, um, synthesize kind of like the history of your trauma (laughs) and you come up with some like negative self-beliefs that you learned along the way. (laughs) So my first round was focused on like my dad's abuse and anger and kind of some of the, like my big, one of the big lessons I had taken from my child is that I'm a fucking loser Mm. who like deserves all this anger and rage. Mm -hmm. And the actual process of the therapy is like you are, um, you like follow a light, which is the eye movement thing, Mm. or you do like shoulder tapping. And the whole time you're just like left to right, left to right again and again. Then you take a breath and then you like say what's on your mind after you've like been basically lightly re-triggered by the trigger memory. Um, So every every time the therapist is like, talks you through this like core memory in the first round, it was sometime my dad got angry uh, and then you go into the light from there. This round, the trigger memory is the day that my mom and a family friend found porn on our computer mm. when I was in middle school. Um, and it was gay porn, although they didn't somehow connect those dots at the time. Um, this is in like 2000. And that moment, I hadn't even thought about it in... 10 or 15 years Mm -hmm. but through the therapy that became the trigger memory because it was the first time anybody basically tried to like rip open my closet door Mm. and everything that i did in that moment which was vamping like crazy like they i hear i'm in the other room and i hear my mom who's a very like if you're Listeners think that I am shrill. Mm-hmm. Know that that apple came from my mother's tree. Mm-hmm. Like she's a loud woman, very high pitched, and I just hear my name like James Paul Tyson. Yeah, I like run in, and they're like, "What the fuck is this?" Blah blah blah, and I'm just like, "Oh, it's I was downloading things, and it was a virus, and I didn't." Yeah. And then some of them were even gay, and like the more I hone in on that moment, it's everything that I've been doing since then it's i move through life with a sort of a a story or just a a a veneer and i'm constantly lying for no reasons at all like i didn't even i i didn't even i think in the moment when i was 13 when it happened Mm. have any kind of awareness to myself that i was lying Mm. Wait, I want to I really want to like tap into that cuz I feel like that's so interesting, but I want to just read EM cuz I I actually did not know what this was. I thought it was something else. EMDR stands for eye movement Desen- desensitization and reprocessing therapy. And you were saying that there is this thing where there's like a light and you have to watch it, follow it with your eyes. And what's the shoulder tapping? Shoulder there's like um the light is one of them, and then shoulder tapping. Oh, with I mean, your this hands. is a video, so you yeah. can't. Yeah, exactly. You have your hands on your shoulder, and you're like tapping like, as you go through the therapy. I see. And then after that, you go in with a trigger memory. You do that exercise practice, and then, and then that helps you sort of like unlock it, or. 
Kind of, yeah. yeah. It's literally 45 minutes Mm -hmm. after the therapist talks you through the trigger memory. And then you just start. For me, I'm doing the light bar. So you sit there, Mm. left, right, left, right, following the light. Every like 30 to 60 to 90 seconds, the therapist tells you to take a breath and just say, okay, what's there now? Mm. And sometimes the different memories will come up, different sensations, different whatever. And it kind of gives you, it it creates, it, it kind of helps you map out what's going on in your brain. Mm. Like I, because of it, I could see so much more clearly this connection of like, the way that I lied in that moment mm-hmm. is the exact same instinctual lie, like the the same brain mechanism that I just did in like lying to my job mm-hmm. for no reason mm-hmm. at all. Um, the the same way that I like when my dad got really mad at you know this whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I'm seeing that exact same emotion as I'm responding to something in my daily life that has absolutely nothing to do with my dad and how I'm bringing, Oh, I'm reacting to things as though they are this initial trip. So it just creates a little more space around your reactions. Well, I find that to be so fascinating because um, it kind of feels like you are seeing clearly because of this practice stuff that I've discovered through therapy. Like, I I think what you're saying is like, okay, so in the whole theme of this national coming out day or national coming out week, you're saying, okay, I came out when I was 15, but before that, you know, 15 years, the first 15 years of my life, I was in the closet. And uh, what that meant was like this, like lying to myself and other people about part of my identity that, you know, you weren't able to um, say out loud. I always feel when I'm talking about childhood trauma with my therapist, like I'm like, okay, yeah, so this stuff happened to me from the years of eight to 10 or from this year to this year. And I'm like, that's just like two years. That's just three years. Why is it affecting me? But I think uh, what I think is so important about what you bring up is that when it's like the formative years from birth to 15, right? That's like, that's gonna stay with you like yeah forever like it's hard to like forever. yeah you you can't like you can't really undo that the fact that since birth until you were 15 years old when your brain was forming basically you somehow picked up from other people that you had to lie about your identity that's that's just like part of you and now you have to like you know now you're at this place where you're like oh, I see, I'm lying for absolutely no reason. And, you know, why do I do that? It's just like... Well, and the thing... It's funny, even in this conversation, I am closeted about it because I didn't... I forgot the actual, like... I came out of the closet as gay Mm. because it was a little like, well, look at me, listen to me. Like, there wasn't a whole lot of hiding it. Like, Mm. I don't know how... And I was jerking off to gay porn. I was attracted to men. Like... There just came a point in my teen years where it was like, how do I, there's no way to function and continue, like, it was just impossible to hide. But I didn't, I didn't address gender at all, at Mm. all. Um, Mm -hmm. And I would think about, you know, people who are in the closet for sexuality, like men, like, how, how are you in, how are you in the closet about anything? Like, how do you lie to yourself that much? 
and not realize who you are. And then for the next 17 years, I was like, oh, trans and non-binary? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I get it. Good for them. Mm -hmm. But I'm a man who wears lipstick and nails and moves like a woman and sees myself outside of like a gender binary. But that's just, uh, that's just me, my type of manhood. Um, right. And uh, I was so closeted. And, and even now... I, I return to the closet on a regular basis with gender. Like, yeah. it becomes so much easier to operate in New York when I can just wear my boy clothes. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, maybe that's not so important to me. And then a year goes by and it's like, why am I so fucking depressed? Yeah. Why am I so goddamn miserable? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, when was the last time you wore a lip? When was the last time you, like, entered the world, like, the way you want to look? Mm. The way you want to, you know... And, uh, and that's where it's like, I'm seeing in this round of therapy, it's like, oh my God, I just keep going back in there to take naps, you know, into the closet. I mean, yeah, but also I think it's important to address because I know this is very, this is very bothersome to you, um, to be like, the unfortunate thing is even in New York city, like you talked about earlier, to live in that truth is to face horrible fucking horrible reactions from everybody around you. And and so it's like, yeah, of course, like, you know, to uh, present in the way that you want to present like your gender identity in public. And that makes that fulfills you and makes you happy. But it's also psychologically detrimental because the society isn't there yet do you know what i mean and so it's like yes you're you know you were calling it like lying or going back in the closet but then it's also like of course you are because like the right. society is mir- mirroring what your family was doing when you were a kid you're, you're getting the message that it's not safe for you to be who you are do you know what i mean which is right. very it's it's tragic it's very very sad but it's also you know like i i just want to take a moment and be like i want to just say that like to like show yourself kindness like it's unfortunate because you've learned that that's how you keep yourself safe you know and so you're stuck between this shitty place of like being you know your authentic self and making yourself happy that way and being safe which is really fucked up and it's not only like you being like why can't i come out of the closet permanently it's 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 everyone else that's not meeting you there you know yeah, it's a constant negotiation yeah. process. And it's so funny you say this because this is what my last therapy session was about mm-hmm. where I was like, look, I see that my brain is doing this. I do not feel like the first round of EMDR, which was more focused on, the, like I said, the, my dad's anger and rage and the violence, right? Mm-hmm. It is so much easier for me to consciously say, yeah, I don't want to have to take that on anymore. I don't want to live with the belief system, but the negative self-belief that I deserved that. That is not serving me. I understand how I developed that when I was there, and I would like to get rid of it. Yeah. This? Mm-hmm. This is a survival technique. Yep. Like, lying? I'm not going to stop doing that yeah. all of a sudden. Like, even, like, a separate from gender and sexuality, like... We all need to put a little bit of a veil up because yes. you cannot trust everybody. Yeah. Well, except for like Staten Island stand-up comedian guys because they don't need to do anything because the world is not <laughs> dangerous to them. But yeah, right. anyone like you know like the this kind of reminds me of like cisgendered women, you know, who like 
in public. We have to just the fucking stupid fucking guy says a weird joke on the street and we're like, because ah, 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 I don't want to get stabbed to death. And then and then they're like, well, uh, what are you talking about? I'm like, that literally happens on a daily basis. A woman doesn't laugh at a man's joke and he fucking pummels her in the face. And like, does right. it? Oh, constantly. Does it feel good for me to laugh at some fucking fifty-five-year-old man eating a hoagie on the streets? Joke, like weird racist joke. No, it doesn't feel good. No. But I don't want to get fucking punched in the face. Right. It's when it's unconscious. Yeah. I think that's where I start to really, and that's what that's the closet part of it. It's right. when I am hidden away and I don't even realize it. Right. That's what terrifies yeah, yeah. me. Yeah. That's so interesting. Because, yeah, I if you want to consciously make the decision, all right, I'm going to laugh at this asshole's right. joke. Fuck, I hate this, but I'm going to do it for my safety. But that's if you different. are going to move through your life being like, oh, yeah, okay, that's funny. That's funny. I, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Wow. That's going to fucking kill you. Yeah. I wonder if I do that unconsciously because I was just like thinking, I feel like I don't, I mean, I don't think I, I mean, I think I do it. I think it's, I'm so conscious of when I do that, like do that performative, like cis woman, like, <laughs> like I'm so conscious of it that I can't think of it, uncon- but I must do it unconsciously. Right. I mean, we all do it. I think to a certain extent, yeah. right? Like we're all going to always be like hypocrites until we die. Like, <laughs> it's just, no, it's, I think that's just the human condition. Um, God, but yeah, for me, I've been seeing like, like, the lie I told to my work the other day, mm. it was so unnecessary. I don't even know why I did. I, like, I couldn't come in. They had already cut me. Mm. And so, and I, I committed to, like, a friend's birthday party because I wanted to go to the party. Yeah. And then, like, about an hour later, they emailed me and said, like, oh, can you come back? Actually, we we're going to, someone else called out sick. It's fine if you can't, but can you? Mm. And they even said it was fine. And instead of just being, like, he, no, I, I have a friend's birthday party. Sorry, have fun. I was like, no, I'm in a show, and I already told the producer yeah. that. Yeah, and it it wasn't a big deal. It was like, but I and then I uh, later, like after I'd sent it, I was like, why did I do that? Honestly, I do things like that all the time, and I think it's. I always think that my life isn't good enough, or so like my truth I, I need to like double triple down and make sure that they know that it's something do you know what I mean I can't be like hey I'm going to a, yes. a friend's birthday party I have to be like I'm actually at the factory making glass bottles for my second <laughs> job to feed my five children do you know what yeah, I mean yes yes that's exactly it's like it. no I'm, yeah. I'm working really hard at the glass bottle factory tonight I can't yeah, go into yeah. work do you know what I mean? Because like that's exactly it. It's, yeah. it's not whatever my life is isn't good enough or something. Good enough. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not okay for it to just be. I wanted to do something fun. That's that's never not okay. an acceptable. Yeah. Ever. Ever. Which I want to actually talk to you about this because I know that because you know ha- having heard your comedy for years, like you grew up like not wealthy. Yeah, it was sort of. It's trucker. There's there is money in trucking. My dad is a truck driver. Yeah. So like the first ten years before my parents got divorced, yeah. it was working class, but it was middle 
class for sure. Yeah. It was like 90s style, middle, middle. Mm -hmm. There was health insurance. There was a vacation a year, but we didn't have like the newest video game system. We didn't have like yeah. money was tight, but not like no one was hungry. Then after the divorce, it was, I was hyper aware of how poor we were yeah. from like 10 on. Um, so, and then in my family, there was also a lot of like poverty. Yeah. Because I want to bring this up because I grew up almost very similarly. Like my parents had, I feel like this is the days that in the 90s, the very last dregs of the middle class. And we like in our lifetime saw it sort of disappear. We experienced that. Like we, there was like yes. this middle classness that we had and in the 90s i think the middle class had been going for so long in america that nobody knew that we were right on the cusp of it disappearing and we and, and like my dad had a lot of mental illness and he was a, like the sole breadwinner and when he went through this like phase where he couldn't get out of bed for years we were thrown into poverty like abject poverty mm. and it's so weird because like you know, you're one of the only people that I feel like I can really talk to about that because there's nobody that lives in New York that really knows what that is, except everyone that lives in New York that's from New York. But like right, white right. people, do you know what I mean? Like the white people that live here don't know really that much about it. And it's like, right. yeah. And it's just like the, well, the reason I bring that up is because I think it has so that all the psychology and like stuff that we go through in therapy is very similar because of our similar socioeconomic status growing up. Yeah, I think that's a lot of it. It's definitely the fun part for sure. The like, I'm sorry, what is your excuse? Because you want to go do something fun? Yeah. I'm working two jobs. Exactly. What do you mean you want to go do so? Like someone needs to do the dishes. Yeah. Um, that's definitely a part of it for sure. Also, that there isn't, you know, my mom did the best she could. She wasn't super into therapy mm -hmm. when I was growing up for herself. Like, that came later for her. We were in therapy. Yeah. But, like, none of the adults were. That's not a poor, that's not a working class. No. They're not doing therapy, mm -hmm. especially in the 90s. Like, so it's also that there's very little awareness of the outside world like different ways of thinking, mm -hmm. different ways of being, so that if you are different no. in that broke-ass environment where all the adults can think about is how are we going to pay bills, there's just no, there's no, like, guiding. There's no, like, mentoring. There's no, like, yes, that's follow that, you know, yeah. thing for the sake of it to be yourself. You have to find that for yourself. Right. I think that that's so interesting. I was just, like, thinking about those parallels. Um <sighs> Wait, so you, but you were going to therapy as a kid, you were saying? After the divorce. Right, right. Because it was still 90s in California. Right. And my mom was dipping in and out of talk therapy. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't like now, like the, there is actually, so the thing about EMDR actually is um, my therapist has told me that there's a lot of, there's a lot of data that shows that it works, but that they don't quite totally know why. Mm, <laughs> um, interesting. And trauma-informed care is much different than like casual talk therapy like once a month right so now my mother has like gone has done trauma therapy for like and that's a that's a whole different ball game yeah but it would this was just like 
so how are you feeling about the divorce? Kind of. Right. You know, when we were like 10 or 11. <sighs> well, I, um, that is like so interesting. I just feel like I see these behaviors that I do in my life. Um, and they're just like behaviors that I learned as a kid. And it's just like, I, I just can't get rid of them. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's like really interesting to know that. And you know, it's, it's weird. Cause when you were saying, oh, this is like, I came out of the closet 15 years ago. I mean, 20 years ago when, you know, you were 15. And it's like, I think about that all the time. You know, when you're in your 30s, your teens was 20 years ago. 20, 20. years ago. And I'm like, I'm, I'm still doing this shit, you know? That's exactly, yep. <laughs> How? How? Why? Why? <sighs> the good news is, um, it's your parents' fault. <laughs> I mean, really, yeah. if I really look back at that fucking moment where they're getting so goddamn angry about the porn, it's like, take a fucking breath. Like, what I want to do, and this is yeah. a little bit what I am doing in therapy, um, you know, I want to go back in time and shake the shit out of those adults yeah. and be like, yeah, it's porn. Get the get the fuck over it. What 15-year-old like, yes. doesn't watch porn? It's, I was like 13 too. 13 it's like what 13 like that's when the hormones are really yeah. like yes. So you're walking then. hormonal amoeba amoeba of a fucking gay kid is looking at porn. Get the fuck over it. Go masturbate yourself honestly. You're also fucking tightly wound. Like Yeah. But that's how they reacted and then you're the one who doesn't have any power in the situation. You're learning based on their reactions. I'm so confused by I'm so confused by all that shit, too. I'm like, because, you know, now I have a kid. I, like, right. can't for the life of me imagine getting angry at him for watching. I mean, he's eight now. So if now I just be like, oh, God. I would be like, that's that's traumatizing for you. You shouldn't look at that. But I, would, <laughs> yeah, I, wouldn't, be, in a minute, I yeah. wouldn't be angry. I'd just be like, oh, my God, like, this is not appropriate or whatever. But I wouldn't be angry yeah. at him. If he was 13, I'd be like, oh, um... I'm, you know, tell just lock the door next time. Lock or, the door. Yeah, exactly. And they didn't even walk in on me masturbating. They look found it in the history. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, yeah. it's like this didn't affect you at all. Why are you, why are you angry about what? Oh, I. But I do. I mean, speaking of porn and children and like being careful of what they see. My concern, but uh, again, I wouldn't be angry about this. My concern is that a lot of porn, a lot of street porn is really misogynistic, you know? Like, oh, yeah. that's what I'm worried about. So, I, But I wouldn't scream at him. I'd just be like, let's talk about the scenario that's happening. And that's it's, yeah. it's a kink, and kink is different than, you know, like, people treating... And this is fantasy. fantasy. Yeah, like, that's the conversation I would have with him. Like, I don't want, you know, but... It's just like, it's just like with parents, I feel like they get upset. And they want to have a conversation around about the wrong thing. Who the 100%. fuck cares if your kid's gay? You should be worried that your kid's a misogynist. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Anyway. I really think, too, like, yeah. it's it's so strange. So I don't have kids, but I do have four nieces and, and nurses uh, or nephews. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's weird now to see, like, one of them is 10 or 9. Nine, nine or ten, somewhere around there. And when I was that age, all the adults in my family acted like they, they couldn't imagine 
that we had emotional lives. Yeah. We were so props, mm-hmm. like just hanging around their barbecues. Yeah. You know, like they didn't get like, and now here I am 35. Like my niece, the 10 year old came to visit last year and we just, we had a moment where I was trying to surprise her with a Broadway show. And so we come up on Lion King, which is what we we're going to see. I was like, all right, well, we're seeing Lion King. And she bursts into tears. She's like, I want to see the Lion King. Mm-hmm. And like, it took an hour to like, talk to her and figure out what was going on. Mm-hmm. And we're in the middle of Times Square with this eight. And it's, for, as an adult, I'm like, I'm thinking what my parents would have been thinking in the 90s, which is, well, we're fucking seeing Lion King. Yeah. All right. That's, and shut the fuck up. That's the, and shut the fuck up. Yeah. But that's not, I and but I, I truly, I look back on it. I'm like, how could you not? Like, it was, it was so obvious. I just needed to talk to her, yeah. needed to figure out what was going on. She thought it was the movie. Mm-hmm. She didn't understand what a Broadway show was at all. She had no frame of reference for what the gift was. Yeah. So like, and I got there. It did, it actually took like 30 minutes of just like, and let's hang out. We'll feel these emotions and move through it. And then we went and saw The Lion King. Mm-hmm. No adult in my family mm-hmm. would have registered any of the, it would have just been such an impact, such a shut the fuck up. You yeah. know, you're gonna get slapped in the face and shut the fuck up. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Um, well, this is the thing that, you know, having a kid, you know, you have your nieces, ne- nerf nervous or sorry. <laughs> no, I don't know what the word is. Nooses. Um, it's not I nooses. I saw Ashley Ray tweet that the other day. I didn't. I stole the oh. nieces and nosses is how she put it. And I was like, that's good. Um, but like, this is what's hard, I think. But I think a lot of people in our generation are doing it. But it, we have to like give up, give ourselves props for this. The hard thing about breaking that like generational um, trauma or you know abuse that goes down the line is that at me because i like as a kid let's say i was crying about whatever the lion king and my parents were always like that's so stupid because they thought everything a child thinks is stupid and not worthy and but to a child it's like the most biggest you know children can't regulate their emotions like adults so they're it's way more important than whatever adults think is important but so I was taught, okay, none of your important, your emotions are important. And so um, they, not only did they not give me room for that, but now as an adult, I have to create that room for a child, but nobody gave me that room before. So it's like, I'm mm-hmm. double parenting. Cause you know, like when you were oh, a yeah. kid, uh, like my parents, they were free to express any emotion that they ever wanted i couldn't and so i sort of became like their weird pseudo parent you know we had to make room for their big emotions because their parents didn't make room for emotions so it was my job to sort of parent them through these emotional outbursts and then now i have to do that to my child but it's like do you know what i mean it's like double i had to do it two times you have to do it for yourself as well yeah where whereas and it should have been my parents did it for me and then i learned to make room for my child so i can do it for my child but it's like to break that like line of like abuse you have to take on both do it two times you know um but it's really interesting because what's so i think gratifying about my relationship with my son the fact that i make room for your for his emotions and i'm sure you saw this with your niece um like one time well he had this thing where he i threw out like he had, he bought like a bubble tea and there was like uh, like two sips left in the bottom and i threw it away 
and he was just losing his mind. He was way younger. He's probably like four, but he was just losing his mind. He was so upset. And I was like, <laughs> and I was just like, I, you know, my instinct, like what I learned from my parents was to be like, shut the fuck up. Like, who gives a shit? Like, I, like that. Right, of course right. I can say that, but that's like how that was like my instinct. But I was like, I was just kind of like, I don't understand. I was like, do you, we can go buy another one. We can buy the exact same one. Um, this, we can go right now like you you don't have to cry like i i'm not understanding why you're so upset and like i just stood there and being like oh, okay you're really upset and like being patient with his emotions and he said something so profound he was like this is like literally when he was four and he said no because that's not going to be the same one because his that's like the first time i think you know children are developing developing and they're like understanding ideas for the first time and he understood that like this cup only exists once this one cup yeah and yeah, if you yeah. throw this cup away even if you buy a new one it's not the same one that one went in the garbage so, and it's forever so, gone yeah which is a he, so you're like what are you doing you dumb idiot and he's like i'm realizing i have mortality yeah like, I'm, I'm realizing, realizing this is all impermanent exactly i'm realizing that this yeah that i'm gonna die one day like he had yeah. this <laughs> profound thought and it was re he was like hysterically crying and i was just like bro who gives a shit let's just get another like and then he yeah, said yeah. that and i was like i was like Oh my god, that is fucking terrifying that you're having that realization right now for the first time in your life. And how right. fucking dare I think that? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like you're a, you're yes. stupid for crying about that. Children they're not stupid. Like they're so smart and they're going they're realizing shit for the first time ever. Like shit that we're used to now. Like I'm going to die. I'm a fucking rotting carcass already. He right, right. <laughs> like literally that's the first time he ever thought that. And like he was like going through it because that's like the scariest thought, like one of the scariest thoughts in the entire world, you know? Yes. Well, <sighs> and that's what's so I mean, my parents definitely did not fully get this. My mom was obvious like is I'm closer, but my dad especially, um, and no one in the family, they all acted like kids. Yes. Were just exactly like any emotion was dumb and if you had really calmed down sickle and hammer on your kid in that moment, what does he walk away with? He walks away with like, oh, there's no room for me to be upset about mortality. Right? Yeah. Like I I look at the porn moment, the like with my mom and stuff, and I can tell you right now, I learned not just how to lie, but I learned how to like talk about like not prioritizing a good time. Sex was not okay. That's what I learned. Is that my sexual activity is, it will bring tumult and ruin to this home. Yeah. And I still, that's more than anything. I mean, the lying is like, yeah, maybe don't lie or be aware of it. I'm furious that I'm still so sexually repressed. So sexually repressed, in fact, that here we are an hour into this and I still only am just getting to the like, and that's the sad part. <laughs> um, yeah. Because it's not just I'm seeing myself lie. It's like I'm 35 in an open relationship. Mm. I'm an adult and I still feel like so much fucking shame about wanting to fuck. <sighs> Same. I mean, I'm working through it, but it's like the, I think, you know, I think the, the underlying thing that. I feel very similarly with you that I learned from my parents 
is there something wrong with you? Yes. That is the 100%. fucking worst fucking feeling. And yeah. it's not fucking true. And I took it I took it as not just is it bad, but you need to hide it and you need to deal with it on your own. Yeah. Ugh. So all Ugh, of my sexual message. exploits for the next 10 years, for the, especially for the when I first started hooking up and what, yeah. were clandestine. They were with guys who were too old for me. Like I was 15. Yep. Like Same. I started doing things yeah. that I shouldn't have been doing because there should have been an adult stepping in and saying, so look, the way you're attracted to guys, that's fine. that's fine. Let's talk about boundaries. Let's talk about, you know, don't, you know, don't do porn on your dad's computer because it's a work computer. Yeah. Like, you know, there are things that could have been said that were not. Be- yeah, because I also learned that my sexual be my sexual instincts were deviant and bad. Yeah. I ended up having a very long um, journey, even to this day, where a lot of my sexual activity is self-harm. Because I feel so shitty and guilty about it, which I shouldn't. Yes. Give the fuck. And now I'm seeking out ex- like experiences that are actively harming me because i feel like just having oh, yeah. a sex drive uh makes me somebody that's like a piece of shit and i have to like be punished for it or something right literally yeah. young me that is the negative self-belief that i'm working on in this round of emdr yeah. which is that i am deviant i am like sinful yeah. that's and i can draw a, a, a almost a straight line from that to how I got HIV. Mm. Because how I got HIV was an act of self-destruction. I was in a fucking blackout. I asked him, like, I was, I asked him if he had been tested, and his answer was not satisfactory. It was like, I don't believe in testing HIV as a conspiracy or whatever. And Oops. I was like, okay, cool, let's fuck anyway. Like, and, I, you know, again, I'm not proud of this, but I can definitely see how that was born out of, all of my sex has been in this, in like this compartmentalized yeah. well of like in the dark and it's bad and it's hurting you and it's hurting your yep. family. And absolutely sex became an act of self-destruction. I so like that, like experience that you just described is like probably most of my sexual experiences in my yes. life. It's all like, I don't care. Let's do it raw. <laughs> Let's do it, yeah. In the yes. sewer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's... See that pile of mud? Push it up my hole. <laughs> it's so fascinating to me because, like, I know a lot of it. I don't even know if your family is religious. I'm guessing, you know, I, I think most American families have, like, a, a background of religion, even if they're not religious. But, like, because of the Agreed. religious ideology of, like, sex shame, that's what led to, like, you not being able to, like... um advocate for yourself with a new partner because you already felt ashamed for something that you should not have felt ashamed for and so then you were like no you know what i don't give a fuck i'm gonna just go raw with this person i just met who knows and then and then that led to you getting hiv not you like being gay yeah exactly yeah the frustrating thing is like they'll never fucking understand that these like homophobic religious people yeah, I am too. It, it was my sad story sad enough? I felt it was, great. it was it specific enough? Okay. No, it's the saddest of all stories. Childhood trauma, are you kidding me? <laughs> no wonder we childhood sexual trauma too. I mean, Ugh. that's what every screenplay is about. Yeah. Not feeling good enough, feeling like there's something wrong with you. That's the worst feeling in the world. Yeah. Anyway. So how do we have positive sexual encounters 
End of question. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I thought there was, I was more, but it's like, that's actually actu- it. <laughs> I was actually, I I mean, you know, like, here, this is my thing. It's fun to have, like, freaky, weird, I don't even know what the word is, like, dirty, dirty naughty. naughty like, I feel we're naughty. Doing something sex. we shouldn't do. I yeah. like sex like that, but it can be in the realm of the bedroom where both of us are being responsible and it's like a kink thing, you know? It's just about communicating right. and being in a. But damn, that's that shit gets me going. You know, like you know when you oh, meet, yeah. when you like hook up with somebody and they're like they have some weird fucking sex yes. shame shit going. Oh yes, yes. it's hot. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, I'm so tired of how repressed I present on just like a daily basis, and it's not like I want to start whipping my dick out, but like <sighs> I do find um, that I struggle to even talk about it in like just regular adult company on a regular basis. Like, and I look at like my oh. hour in November, and like I'm proud of my hour. I like what. I think it's smart and blah, blah, blah. But definitely after this round of material, I want, I'm like, I'm furious at how sexless it is. (gasps) Like, Mm. and it's like, I don't want to go back and like, I talk about the HIV and it's not like, it's not like it's not adult, but like, how did I, I always do this. I just manage to omit and avoid the kinkiest parts. Oh, even in this, it took me an hour to be like, oh, actually, the problem is the sex. Yeah. <laughs> it's the. No, I want to have another, like, a separate episode where we talk just about the sex. Well, because here's my thing. I, this is going back to what you said about, like, you know, when you um, are in public and you're going to, like, try to hide your, like, uh, gender identity. And part of it, I said, is because of how society accepts you. It's like, yes, part of it, maybe you feel like you're not being true to yourself and lying. But the other part is like you're trying to keep yourself safe. That's the experience I have with talking about my sexuality as like a slut and stuff like that. Because people react so fucking shitty about jokes that I have about my sexuality that I'm like pulling back to protect myself. Even though I'm like I have a lot of jokes about, you know, being a fucking freak in the sheets. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, but it yeah. is like, I mean, you know this for sure. I feel like you've gone, well, you've def, it's not a feel, you have gone viral far, far more often than I have. And every single time it happens, no matter what the joke yeah. is, there's like this wave of people who've got some fucking butt hurt thing with you. Like, so oh I, that's God, the other yeah. half of it. It's like, well, yeah, but when I start going into that, then it's going to bleed into my online content. And already it's like, if I have a trans thing go viral, mm-hmm. half of it is or a quarter of it, sometimes half, is a, a bunch of fucking bullshit. It's like any yeah. subject matter with the way that comedy is right yeah. now, is you're going to end up talking about it on the internet and someone's going to be a fucking asshole about yeah. it. Yeah, but I've really, like, recently, because I've been, like, like, I had a serious relationship that ended in July, and I, or I guess earlier, um, but I now, because I'm dating a lot, I'm doing a lot more, like, hoe content, like, back, back to my mm-hmm. roots baby and i yeah, like yeah. i'm already feeling that feeling of like uh i don't want to deal with this anymore i don't want the slut shamers coming out of the woodwork you know like just because of my fucking jokes you know like come on man like especially uh, if i think that's got to be way worse for like a cis woman and especially one who's like yeah gorgeous and like brazen like you are that it I'm sure you get like a mix of like not just slut shamers, but then like, oh, hot girl talking about sex. She must want me to DM her a picture of my dick. Well, also, you know what really bothers me? It's not the anonymous trolls. 
what actually really bothers me and it really gets to me and this maybe is like just feeding into my insecurity of like not being good enough or being bad is people that I date will have this weird perception of who I am and they'll treat me like Mm. really shitty because they think I'm a fucking quote unquote slut and I have a that should have been my sad story I'm really struggling with that right now and it's like something that really bothers me because it feeds into the insecurity of me like not being a a good girl enough for you know like that and men have said some fucked up shit to me on dates because of like my online persona especially when I was doing a lot of like a chaotic slut girl like jokes yeah yeah it's the the kind of shit that they have said to me it's uh, traumatizing it's horrible oh my god I'll share one really quick. There's answer. a real. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh no, I, I want to know. I was like, I don't want to push you to be specific if you don't want to, but I definitely want to no, know. No, because we're like we're running out of time. But I'll share one story. It was so bad, and I feel like this really did a number on me without me realizing. This guy, like, we had sex. This is years ago now, um, and I guess it's been like almost probably like right before my serious relationship. But right after we had sex, he was like talking about his last girlfriend, and he was like, "Oh, we broke up because like she's like really sensitive about." you know because i'm i've like fucked so many women i've fucked like over 500 people or like women and men i guess and and i was like i was like oh and he was like yeah and like i like you know really cared about her and so i i i didn't want to tell her that it's been over 500 people because you know like i don't i like really care about her and i don't want her to be hurt and i was like sitting there like well why are you why are you telling me that like and like yeah. I, I didn't care about that, but I was like, I don't care about that number. But and I was just thinking like, and then he said, and I quote, "Oh, but like you don't give a shit because you're like you know you're a slut." And I was like, "Oh, so you think I'm like not a human being because I'm yeah. I'm not like as precious and like a delicate and womanly as your ex girlfriend because she's a delicate real she's like a real woman that doesn't really have sex right, but you're a right, slut so right. I can tell you whatever I want because you don't have any fucking feelings right you whore and I was like ooh bro it really fucked me up when he said that I was like I'm I I get oh yeah of course it wasn't even like I don't care like you can tell me about your sex and whatever I don't care but it's like being like i can say whatever the fuck i want to you right because you right yeah. and not not even asking like i don't know does that would that bother you like i feel like that would have been like it didn't even occur to respectful, him respectful but it didn't, didn't even, even occur, occur to, him to him that he that, that i have you might emotions not want to hear about it and that he should yeah, yeah he should be careful with my emotions it's fucking deranged oh God. men are so deranged I, about women who have sex. i feel yeah. I feel horrible for women. It does make me feel at least better. It's like, well, I'm not the only one who's compartmentalized. It's like, really, yeah. a lot of people are fucking compartmentalized. A lot of men, especially, and people who were socialized as men yes. are compartmentalized. You keep your dirty, horny little feelings over <laughs> here with all these horrible, ugly sluts. And then in civilized society, you hide all Exactly. That. It's like, well, if I had a real girlfriend with a, with a pedigree, then I wouldn't say all this, but you're a, you're a poor slut. <laughs> You reek of chlamydia. <laughs> Seriously. I can be honest around yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I have feelings too. <laughs> oh? This is the first time hearing Shut of up, it. Shut up, slut. <laughs> yeah. Slapping me. <laughs> oh, and also, I want to say one last thing about that, though. Men perceive me as someone with power because I have, like, a following now. And a, a lot of men oh. come at that like they have to fucking tear it down and destroy it. And that's what that, you know what I mean? They're like, 
oh you're a, what are you a big shot well you're a whore you know like it's like it's like that kind of shit and i'm yeah. like Weird. god damn i hate everybody i mean truly i cannot imagine trying to have sex with straight men on a regular basis i oh. i mean already gay men are a separate but you know they're their own fucked up very I don't do often. it that often <laughs> but i have just the minimal amount and it's just already you like, hit your quota me, and it god. hit back I hit, yeah it's like one straight guy and i was like woof oh my god no <laughs> You're crazy. <laughs> I don't want to be. It's they're so they're fascinating. They're 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 the weird ones. I'm gonna say they're the weird ones of the entire zodiac sign. Cis het men. Wow, we really circled back around to hating on cis het men, and I feel like this that's a great place for us to leave off. Did I pull? I pulled. D- you pulled it. <laughs> you pulled it in. Yeah, where can our listeners follow you on social media? I am James Tyson, like Bison, B-I-S-T-I-S-O-N, James Tyson, uh, on everything. I'm on TikTok, Insta. Follow me on Insta. That's what matters. Um, and and then come to my hour. November 13th. At Stand, Stand Up, Up New, New York. York. For the love of God, come. Um, <laughs> thank you for having and- me. Of course, and you can follow the podcast at Harry Butthole Podcast on Instagram, and you can follow me at YM Mayor. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.